I'm going to read scripture together. I'd like you to stand, please, as we read uh, from the Gospel of John. The Bible, the Bible's down here. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. I'll read from John chapter 16. Starting at verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and he will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples 
And when he talks about the Helper, he's using a term to describe the Holy Spirit, who he is. It's a term, it's a personal term. It's to talk about him being the one who will help them to continue to walk the walk of being a follower of Jesus. It's a personal aspect of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to see if we can put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. Because here are the disciples who have been walking with him over three years. They've been seeing him ministering. They've been excited. This is possibly the most probably the Messiah. They're waiting for a literal kingdom at that time. They're excited. Then he says, look, I'm going to die. And not only that, then I will be raised again. But it's a few advantage that I go away. I don't know if I was the disciple and I would be like, what? How's it advantage that you go away from us? We've seen what you do. We've experienced the kingdom of God at work here. We've seen it all, and you're telling us it's to our advantage? How does that work? See, right there and then, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send a helper, and he has a purpose. And the verses later on, Nathan read to us in verses 8 to 11, it talks about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Jesus is saying to them, hey guys, it is to your advantage that I go, because when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict. He will reveal the truth of the gospel, he will reveal the significance of my life, death, and my resurrection. But not only that, he says the Holy Spirit, he will come, Convict, but he'll also empower. He'll also remind you. Verse 13 to 15 says, The Spirit of truth is another term for the Holy Spirit. He says, He will guide you into all truth, but he will not speak on his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is making a radical statement, saying, hey, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, He will come to your advantage that I go, because when He comes, He will convict, and He will also empower, He will also remind you of my truths, as you represent me in this broken world. So it's to a great advantage that Jesus goes. So Jesus is saying His truths to these disciples. Now, is that the same advantage for us today? Is that the same advantage for us today? That advantage is still the same as it was then and it is for me today. So we go through the book of Acts. And in Acts, there are people that stick up very prominently. But there is someone who's constantly quite prominent in the book of Acts. So prominent that he's mentioned around 70 times. And about, about of those 70 times, 41 of them are specifically about his work, mentions him specifically about the Holy Spirit. Talks to, about him in such a way that he's described as the Spirit of the Lord, talking about his Lordship. See, the passage that John we just read from, in the book of Acts, we see all of those things come into play. Now, why would I tell you all those numbers? to show you that I know how to use a database really well. <laughs> Friends, it's important for us, for those of us who know Jesus, to embrace the realities and the truths of who the Holy Spirit is. Because if we don't, and often I think we miss the deeper realities of the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
Now, some of you, I, I'm not assuming all of you know Jesus. Some of you don't know Jesus. But I want you to know the reality of who the Holy Spirit is and uh, how His role in our lives is one of the most significant things in the Christian faith that sets it apart from any other faith. Because, you know, there are other spirits. You can read about it in another letter that this guy John wrote in 1 John. He talks about it in 1 John 4. He talks about, hey, there are other spirits, but test the spirits. Test them they're from God. Many false prophets have gone out of this world. Like this you know, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and now is ready. There are many spirits out there, but there is only one Holy Spirit. There is only one Spirit of God. He's the one who confesses that Jesus did come in the flesh. He's the one who lifts Jesus up. This is God, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't know Jesus, but you realize this or not, you are under the influence. Either the influence of the spirit of this world or your own flesh. But our prayer is that you would come into the influence of the Holy Spirit and His role in your life. Now, for those of us who know Jesus, those who believe in His life, His death, His little resurrection, who believe in these truths, our view of who the Holy Spirit sometimes may be shaped by a few different things. It may, may be shaped based on our church background what church we've grown up in, um, tradition. Sometimes it might be the influence of our family members. We may have particular theological preferences or standpoints of views or preferences leanings. It may be based on people that we listen to on our podcasts and sermons and so on. But I think overall, we sometimes have this misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Who is He? Uh, one of my kind of nerd moments is when I watch Star Wars. I love Star Wars. And the whole premise of Star Wars is constantly there's this idea of the Force. Remember the Force is the dark side. I want to do it that way, but it's not enough to. Um, there's this whole idea of the Force out there. I don't know about you, but I think for many um, seasons of my life as a Christian, that's the way I saw the Holy Spirit. He's kind of like this Force out there. I really think really hard and I sort of meditate on certain things and somehow stir in me something, somehow this force will become stronger and the lights I'll get stronger, I'll become really empowered, then I'll be able to live for Jesus. I think sometimes it becomes almost mystic about this idea of the Holy Spirit. And some of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we get a bit nervous because it's almost like he becomes like a crazy uncle that you <laughs> don't really want to invite to a public gathering. You're worried that if he shows up, somehow it gets a bit out of hand. He's a lot of fun, but gets out of hand. We have this view that the Holy Spirit's out of control, he's unpredictable. And we are influenced by things that we might watch on YouTube. And these kind of bad versions of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For some of us, we understand, yeah, you live in the Holy Spirit, I'm a Christian, I get that. He's almost like this distant cousin that sometimes we see. We relate, we believe. But really, you know, may approach and talk to him when we're in need. Maybe particularly when we're doing the really Christian stuff. There's not a sense of constant conversation. There's no sense of relationship. The reality is that we all have some sort of view. I have a view. But is that view based on the Bible? 
is actually based on how he describes himself as the Holy Spirit, based on God. Now, I'll be honest with you, there might be some of us who, when we think about having a series on the Holy Spirit, when we talk about having two weeks, so this week we're talking in some sense who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives, next week we're going to talk about his gifting, we're going to have a specific panel set aside, we're going to talk about the different views, in particular the way that he outworks those gifts. And I would encourage you, if you have any questions about the Holy Spirit, maybe even from this morning, or you've always wondered, Please send them through. Email them to the office. We'd love to engage with that if we can as a panel. The pastors are going to sit together and talk about it. But in some sense, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we get a little bit nervous. We wonder if the crazy uncle is going to show up somehow. And we get a bit edgy. This morning, our hope is, my hope is this, that we remind you of who he is according to the word. We're reminded of the advantage that we have because of Him, and then how that now impacts everything that we do in our lives. So, remind us of who He is. So, let's begin with who He's not. Very apt, I'm going to say it very clearly the Holy Spirit is not some sort of force out there, and He's not it. He is the Holy Spirit. I remember years ago, I had to write a little mini paper on the Holy Spirit for it organization I was serving on staff with. And the first few lines they talk about the description, who is the Holy Spirit? And I said, it is the one who empowers you. It is the one who does this. It is the one. And I all of a sudden I realized what I was writing. And I thought myself, it. Where did I get that from? Where how is that shaping my mind? How's that where's that coming from? The Holy Spirit, who is he? He's God. As a church we believe in the Trinity. This the Trinity is a doctrine and a belief that we as a church hold. I don't have time to go into that. We have to spend a few weeks on what that means. But in essence, this is what we mean to believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. And we believe in God the Holy Spirit. We believe they are one. But they are unique. In they are unique. They have a relationship. There's a relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we get that word Trinity, that's where it's from. But yet they're all distinct divine personalities. Yet they're whole, fully, holy God. And essence, and their makeup, they're fully God, they're one. So when we unpack the Holy Spirit this morning, I hope my prayer is that we get a sense of awe and reverence and goodness. I wonder sometimes we are tempted to water him down. And maybe even we are tempted to see as in some sort of genie out there to fulfill our own personal pleasure needs. To fulfill our wish. And maybe he's that the kind of person that you can, in case of emergency break glass. That kind of idea of who he is. So this morning the question is, who is he to you? Friends, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. This means that if the Holy Spirit is God, He has always existed. He didn't just show up in Acts. He didn't just show up in the Gospels. He's always existed. In the first few chapter, the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis, you have these words, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. 
The Holy Spirit has always existed. He's always been there. Later on, you see that same chapter. It talks about the Trinity. The, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they're all involved. He's the one who's always existed. And because of who He is, because He is God, He has attributes, God-like attributes, because He is God. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, talks and alludes to Him. Talking about, where shall I go? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? He's everywhere. Christians use the word called omnipresent, talking about He's constantly, always, everywhere, all the way, all around. You can't get away from Him. That means the Holy Spirit doesn't just show up when you sing a particular song. The Holy Spirit doesn't just show up when you have your favorite Bible version in your hand. The Holy Spirit doesn't just show up when you are having a small group of at your church service. He's everywhere. Another attribute of who He is, He is powerful and He is mighty. In Romans 15 verse 19, Paul is writing and he says, Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Lurkham, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. And often we go in and go, oh, it's a sign of wonders. But it's the power of the Spirit of God who enables that. At the end of the day, the, the end goal is to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes that happen. He's the one who's so powerful to make that all happen. Another way that Christians use for that is omnipotent. The other way that Christians use the word is called omniscient. What that means is that he's, he's the God who has full knowledge. He knows it all. He's not caught by surprise. I don't know about you. Sometimes I think when we have the view of the Trinity, we have this sort of idea that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have a meeting once a week to catch up on what's been happening. They're in a beautiful relationship with each other. They know exactly what's coming, right? The Holy Spirit is full of knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything in the depths of God. For who knows a person's Lord except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who understands. It is the Holy Spirit who has the full knowledge. Another attribute of who the Holy Spirit is, who is to show that He is God, He has no beginning and no end. Hebrews 1.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offer Himself out without the blemish to God, purifying our conscience from death, works to serve the living God. This is to show to us that He is not just sort of some force. He is God. He is the eternal Spirit. Friends, when you think about who the Holy Spirit is and His role in your life, does that stir your heart for mission? Does it cause your heart to be in awe of who He is? Are those the words that you use to meditate on who He is that He is God? Now I think, and I've done this, for those of us who grow up in fairly conservative church backgrounds, our temptation is to put those attributes mainly on God the Father and God the Son. We don't have a three-point view, a trinity-point view. A good one. Because those attributes apply to the Holy Spirit, because He is God. And for some of us, we've grown up in sort of church backgrounds where it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has become this little genie that 
you know, he says particular things in a particular way, and then he does stuff. But if we have a view of the Holy Spirit being God, we should hopefully stare in our hearts at all and wonder and worship. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. He is God. But because he is the Christian God, the God that we worship, that we know of, he's not some sort of personal, impersonal force out there, he's quite personal. He's personal in every way. But the role of the Holy Spirit is quite significant in, in that we as Christians live on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb. And because I said the Holy Spirit has always been around, now he's involved, and the past is very different than what have he's involved now. There's actually quite a distinct difference. What we see in Acts is this thing. It's a significant difference. See, as I said, because he is God, he's always existed. He didn't just show up in Acts. But he's personal. But how he ministered, particularly the Old Testament, is quite different than how he ministers now, today, also, in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there. He was always there. And what it would look like is that particularly with those who are leaders or particularly prophets, particularly uh, men and women who are meant to be represent- <laughs> representatives of God in the earth, they were then empowered for that moment. You would hear the language of the Spirit of God came upon them. The Spirit of God came upon them. And usually the Spirit of God would move on if they die or particularly if they sinned. I want to give you two examples, quick examples. One is the life of Saul, and one is the life of David. You can read about it in the book of 1 Samuel. It talks about how Saul is chosen to be king. The people want a king, and God says, okay, fine, he's a king. They choose this guy, but it says that the Holy Spirit rushed on him. It came upon him. To momentarily equip him to be God's representative, to represent God, to lead the people. And you fast forward that a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 16. It talks about how now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So Saul sins, the Spirit of the Lord leaves, the evil spirit torments him. So the way it looked like during those days is that you sin, that would happen, but there's also pictures of grace of what God does. There's another king, a king that God has chosen, unlike the people have chosen. This king is David. And you read about it in 1 Samuel 16, it talks about how Samuel comes and chooses the youngest son out of the family. And he anoints him with oil, and so he does, and the Spirit of the Lord once again rushed upon David. And equips David, and from that day forward, David is represented. He's the king, he's the chosen one, he's the anointed one. And so there's this picture and idea once again, the Spirit comes upon somebody. Now, David is sort of put up as the pinup poster of the great king, but he wasn't all good. One of the most significant, well known sins that he committed when he uh, slept with another man's wife. And she ends up becoming pregnant, and that baby dies. But there's this wonderful psalm that he writes in response. The well-known psalm, Psalm 51. It's a beautiful psalm of repentance. He's crying out to God. And the chilling line at the end of verse 11, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's a sense of David going, I've sinned. God's going to remove his favor, his spirit from me. He knows that, and he's crying out. And in that moment... You look at David's life, God shows grace to him. 
So there's a fear in some sense, the spirit will be. But for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us who live on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, there's a significant difference that's happened. A few weeks ago, we talked about Acts 1. And it talks about Jesus is saying to them, hey, listen, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. These are all like statements of this is definite. This is going to happen. See, Jesus is talking to his disciples at this moment because Jesus is mentally wonderful, gloriously possible. Unlike the days of old, this is the great Messiah, the great king has achieved what no other king or prophet ever before him could achieve. And he's done it. In light of that, he brings in a new reality. So the same author of Acts talks about the Holy Spirit again in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is writing and he talks about this guy John. John is walking around and people are like, are you the Messiah? And he turns around and says, no, I'm not the Messiah. I baptize you with water, but there's one coming that I can't even step down and, and even tie the sandals on his, uh, the ties on his sandals. I'm not even worthy to untie that. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what you're seeing in Acts 1. This is the reality of that coming true. And a few verses later, this wonderful picture about what Jesus and what he's done and has achieved and the fruit of that and the labor of that and what we are achieving, what we are receiving today and in the Acts of the coming around. You see that in Luke 3. In Luke chapter 3, you have this wonderful picture of Jesus getting baptized in the water and this is glorious picture of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in that one moment. And it says in heaven, there's a voice comes from heaven and says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Friends, I think for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us on the side of the cross and the empty tomb, we are really spoiled. We have totally become spoiled. Because you know, the only reason that we can have the Holy Spirit to come and live in us is because simply of Jesus. Because he's the one that the Father was well pleased in. He's the one who went to the cross and what he did achieved him. He's the one who was raised again on the third day, literally, and made this possible. And in light of that, he now sends his Spirit, his Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes, not momentarily, but permanently into our lives to take residence in our hearts, in our souls. So this means that he's not some sort of airy-fairy person that shows up once in a while. He's personal. Just as your Savior and our Savior is personal. Because he is God. What do I mean by personal? Well, you see that in the New Testament in particular. He's someone that you actually can be lied to. And there are consequences. I'm going to unpack that in a few weeks in Acts 5. You can uh, hear about what it means to be personal. He can actually be grieved, and you can read about it in Ephesians 4. He's someone that can actually be quenched. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians 5. He can be someone that can resist. You can read that in Acts 7. And in the Gospels, he mentioned that he can actually blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Why is it all possible? Because what Jesus has done, but not only that, because he's God, he's personal. 
This is who he is. And I don't know all of your history when it comes to the idea of the Holy Spirit. But is this the Holy Spirit that you worship? Is he God or is he some sort of impersonal being? Is he the one that always shows up sometimes when the mood is right? You know, you've got the right music, the right lighting, good Bible version. Who is the Holy Spirit? Maybe some of you believe that you can lose the Holy Spirit, but we as a church don't believe that. Because see, if that was true, there's no point in Jesus dying on the cross, there's no point in being raised again on the third day. Not only that, there's no point in passages like the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke or even in Acts. See, friends, if you have surrendered your life to this, meaning that you have given your life to this, say, Jesus, you are in charge of my life, you are the Lord of my life, the Holy Spirit comes, not actually comes, He invades into your life. He takes not just position, He resides, He makes His own in you. Because your heart has been purchased, your soul has been purchased by Jesus. And then He starts something so gloriously beautiful. My wife and I have been married um, eight years. I was reminded yesterday. And on our wedding day, we give each other vows. You know, I take you and so on. Part of that is this idea of the ring. You know, you give each other the ring. But the, the ring is, in some sense, it's applying a truth. Those vows I've just said, I'm applying that truth in a physical way to remind me, yeah, this, this ring reminds me of my vows to my wife. A similar idea. See, the Holy Spirit, when He comes and takes residence in your heart and, you, and lives in you, He starts to apply wonderful truths of what Jesus has done. And that's what brings us to what's His purpose. Why is He around? Why is He so important to knowing the Holy Spirit? So I think sometimes when we think again about the Holy Spirit, often our, our default mode is to go straight to spiritual gifts or uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And then we sort of focus on those things. And ultimately, I think what's going on is we're really saying, it's about me. See, the Holy Spirit, when He comes into your life, He begins a work. Because friends, if we do not receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is not living in us. The point of the Gospel is useless to us. There's no point for the gospel. As I've been saying to my beautiful wife Beck, walking up to her and saying, Hey honey, I know that we've been married for eight years now, I know this brings closeness in your life, but look, I've decided that there's no point in us living in the same house. Let's meet once a week for dinner at my parents' place, because that's where I'll be living. It doesn't work. If I'm married to her, if I said I do to her, then there's all the effects and everything that comes along with it is involved in it. In a similar way, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, He starts to bring in this wonderful reality and truth into our lives. He starts to show a purpose of why He's come. Yes, to convict the world and to equip us, but He's beginning a journey and a transformation in our hearts. And how does He do this? Well, first and foremost, He begins by convicting us. Then, in that moment when we realize, but also continuously every day. See, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit opening up our hearts to the message of the Gospel, we would still be lost. We would be utterly lost. So the Holy Spirit, when He does, He comes in and He reveals the Gospel to us and He makes it come alive and our hearts start going, yes, I need Jesus. Because the longings of our soul are crying out for that and we just don't realise it sometimes or we're deliberately running away. Then we respond in faith and put our trust in Jesus. 
and something happens. When all of a sudden, there's this massive move. The move is that God moves us from this darkness into His kingdom of light, where He reigns as a Savior and Lord. And this is this wonderful reality. And we see these things come into full effect. The other way that what God does is as the Spirit comes in us, as He lives in us, as He applies these convictions in us, the other way that He does it, it's every day. The Holy Spirit lives in us and He says to us, hey, don't go down that road. That's not good for you to go after that sin. Turn. Listen to the Father. Listen to the good stuff. And He convicts us when we sin and He also provides grace for us. So it begins with conviction. A few years ago, particularly in the 90s, there was this idea of this whole idea of what's called born-again Christian. I don't know if you've ever used that term. So I used to use the term a lot back in the 90s. There was always this question. Hey, so are you a Christian or are you a born-again Christian? Uh, and it was one of those little kind of trendy terms at the time. But what, it, what it's ultimately saying is, hey, listen, what's happened is there's some change that's going on. And that change is now, you have now been born again. That is, within you, the Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He resides in you. As He resides in you, He's bringing this truth. There's a spiritual revival happening in your heart. Another way to put it is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has gone. A change of heart has happened. Christians use a word called regeneration. That's what that means. That's what's going on in that moment. Another aspect of the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, as he convicts you, as he regenerates you, there's a wonderful, significant event happening. The Holy Spirit applies what Jesus has done, his work is applied to your life, to your heart, to your soul. Your heart that was hostile towards God is now being warmed to be in fellowship with God, to submit to Him. And the fruit of that is that your heart starts relying more and then on light of that, you now are in right position with God. And God says, that is my son, that is my daughter. Which is the word called justification as this change happens, as this justification, and as this regeneration, and as this wonderful reality starts being applied into our lives, you're given a new, wonderful status update. That status update is, and you are a son, a daughter, and a son. He's the one who's at work bringing all these things together. Because he's applying the realities of and what he's doing also in the midst of all of that, he looks into your life and he starts to work in your life and he's like a good workman shipping away day by day, transforming your heart and my heart to ultimately to bear and be true image bearers of God. He's making us more like Jesus. And this is done by continual lifestyle choice, if you want to put it. Where we say no to the things of the flesh of this world, we say yes to the Spirit and His work in our lives. And He starts chipping away, and the Holy Spirit starts empowering us to do that. And God begins to do this work through Him. Christians use a word called um, 
uh, Christians use the word called sanctification for this imperfection. Friends, when we think about these truths, is that what happens in your life? Is that when what do you realize the effects of the Holy Spirit and His role in your life? Is that being applied right now when you think about that? Friends, when I think about the Holy Spirit, this is not like a hands-free kind of moment where I just kick back and just let the Holy Spirit do His work. No, this is a partnership, this is a submission kind of partnership. This is where we say no to the things of what is important to me and my flesh, and I say, yes, Holy Spirit, you take over. What do you want to do? And that means it shapes how we live. Because we believe that He is God, uh, that He lives in us, that He is the one who has made us uh, born again. If you are a follower of Jesus, take courage. Take courage. Because Jesus is at work in your life through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. Take ours as well because now he's placed you as his witnesses in a place where there are people enslaved to the spirit of this world and, and darkness. He's calling you out to go and witness for him through your lifestyle, through the way that you live, the way you proclaim this truth, this message. The Holy Spirit is involved personally in our own lives based on these truths as He's changing us, reshaping us, and making us the realities of the effects of the gospel apply to our lives. And now He continues to help us live this lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not something that comes moment by moment. It's a daily surrender. It's not just on Sundays. It's not just doing small group. It's every day. Holy Spirit. Would you take over? Would you lead me? Would you take control of my life? And light of that Holy Spirit then enables us to do the different things that we take for granted. Like prayer. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is involved in your prayer life? Intimately and deeply. There's a passage in Romans 8.26 that says, Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us the groanings. Too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is involved in that moment when you're praying to God and saying, I don't know how this is going to work out, I don't know what's happening. The Holy Spirit is enabling and crying and causing to intercede on our behalf. He's involved in your daily life. He's the one who's changing you, reshaping you, empowering you, and He's also involved in your life. As you talk to God, He's the one who's stirring in your heart. He's also the one who is involved in your daily life as you are involved in His work. The passage that we read earlier at the start of this morning talked about how Jesus is saying, hey, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, He will remind you, He will bring to remembrance these things. Friends, there are those of us who have grown up in church backgrounds where the Trinity has been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Father. And what happens in those moments is we value the Bible in this church. My friends, in 2 Timothy 3.16, verses 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. See, if the Holy Spirit is not involved in making these words come alive, you'll just read in one of the There's some great stories. There is the Spirit of God when you read it, it goes, Hey, He makes it come alive. 
He turns and he convicts our hearts as we sit and read. This is why as a church we encourage you to get into His Word. Not because we're a Christian church and we just want you to do some sort of religious thing. No, we want you to be transformed. Because He speaks through these words. He makes them come along. And in light of that, He's the one who empowers us to fight this truth in our lives. He empowers us to live this life. This is a passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 4. Talking about his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature and escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, he's the one who enables us to live this Christian life. You and I can't live this Christian life without His help. We can try. It may last for a little while. He's the one who empowers us to live this life to obtain the life of God for us. And then finally, He's the one who produces fruit in us. See, this famous passage, you probably have some sort of poster in your house about it. Um, maybe you've seen stickers on it. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The term to talk about some attributes, what it looks like in a Christian life. I don't know about you, but often when I read that, I look and go, okay, fruit of the Spirit. That means this week I need to be gentle. I need to be self controlled. I'm not going to be loving. I'll go work on that next week. See, whose fruit is it? Is it mine? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's Him. It's all Him. We can try to achieve these things in our own flesh and strength, or we can cry out to Him and say, Holy Spirit, please enable me to achieve this in me, change this in me. And He will, because that's His plan, that's His call. Friends, He's the one who does it, He's the one who produces it, He's the one who does it all, because ultimately when He does it, it's happening, all the glory goes to the Father. And I think that the fruit language is deliberate. I don't know about you, when we read things like it's very easy for us to get discouraged. But friends, I don't know, last time I checked, I don't think I know any fruit that grows overnight. Fruit takes time. Seasons. But in the midst of all that, the Spirit of God is the one who produces that in us. Uh, this uh, last week, I've been catching up with a couple from my church that I know Jesus yet. And we had some conversations, and this guy always talks about how he immensely Jesus speaking with him. He always talks about Jesus speaking. And that moment, as we were talking about the gospel and going through it, I called myself afterwards, waiting for him to respond. But he didn't. I called myself, going, Why? Why not? And I was driving home, all frustrated and annoyed, and I was reminded of these truths of the Spirit, and I realized, Shabu, you're doing this in your own strength. It has to be the Spirit that convicts. It is the Spirit that transforms. It is the Spirit that calls. It is the Spirit that completely changes them over. So in that moment, I had to surrender that truth. Surrender that now. Because He's the one who empowers and strengthens us. He's the one who does that for our Christian life. I'm just going to pray for Tracy. Father, I just pray for Tracy right now. That you would comfort her and be with her. 
that you would give direction to the things to come. See, this is the reality if you know Jesus. This is who He is. This is who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. Holy Spirit, who is he? He's the one who is God. He's the one who has come into the person who is a follower of Jesus and resides. He's the one who's transforming and changing and reshaping. And in light of that, he empowers us to live for him. He's the one who enables us to pray to the Father. He's the one who opens the word of God and makes it come alive. And he's the one who empowers us to serve him. He's the one who causes us to be witnesses to our friends and families who don't know Jesus. It's all from him. He's the one who does this. This is who he is. How great is our God? How great is the gospel of Jesus? How amazing is the Holy Spirit? So as we wrap up this morning, I've given you, as best as I can, a little scraping of the role of the Holy Spirit. But I want to leave some questions to you. When you think about the Holy Spirit, I have a question for you. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? Is He who we've described today as God? Is there anyone to wonder, or is He just some sort of force being out there? Secondly, what is your view of the Holy Spirit in that you may have some convictions, but are they shaped on personal preferences, or are they biblical? Thirdly, What's going on in your life right now where you are actually controlling the whole of this Are you trying to take control? What is he? Are you letting him take control of the way you witness to your friends, or are you the one being controlled? If you are trying to take control, can I encourage you this morning to surrender to me? Let go, let go. He's the one who and fourthly, like I said, I'm just kind of trying to scrape as best as I could. But in line with that, I encourage you, don't just sit back. You get to know who he is. Get to know who he is. Read about him. Uh, in line with that, some other suggestions I'll give to you. These are three books. There are many books out there. These are three books that have helped me wrestle through about the role of the Holy Spirit in my own life. Uh, the first one, uh, the green one that says... Holy Spirit, it's God called Winfield Bevins. It's like literally tiny ants. You can read that in half an hour. And if you're really bad, read it at least an hour. Okay? <laughs> it's what they call a primer. It is like the basic doctrines of the Holy Spirit who he is. I think you can get a free copy of it online somewhere as well. If you just look it up. Uh, the other one is called Forgotten God. This is by a guy called Francis Chan. Uh, this is more about a person's journey from going from a fairly conservative church, a uh, fairly legalistic church, and he's realized he didn't know anything about it. He knew the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know what that meant in his daily life. He wrote this book on that journey. It's a great little book. And finally, this is the book that I would recommend about all books uh, called uh, He Who Gives Life, written by Bob and Collins, the Aussie theologian who lives in the States. This book has been awesomely helpful for me in my own journey uh, to wrestle It's hard reading, but it's worth it. Friends, let me pray for us as we continue.